Well, good morning again. Today we are continuing our sermon series entitled Meals of the Master. And what we've been doing, if this is your first Sunday with us, is the, the past several weeks as we are looking at stories in the gospel according to Luke where Jesus has a meal. He shares a meal with people. We've seen him share a meal with uh, Levi, a tax collector, and his friends. We've seen him share a meal with a number of Pharisees, a, a woman who had a bad reputation in town. We saw him share a meal with 5,000 people on a hillside. And today we come to a situation where, again, Jesus is having a meal with what it's, the Scripture says is a prominent Pharisee. Right before the passage that was just read, the, the first uh, 14 verses, it kind of lays and sets the table. So I'm going to dig into that in just a minute before we get to the parable. Uh, But Jesus is having a meal at a house of a prominent Pharisee. And then in response to a situation, Jesus then tells this parable, the parable of of the great banquet. Now, I'm not sure if you can see or not, but uh, the table up here has been a part of our sermon series. And each week it changes a little bit. Like a couple weeks ago when Pastor West spoke on the feeding of the 5,000, you know, the the loaves and the fishes. We had some cans of tuna up here, you know, and some bread. Today it's a parable of the great banquet. And you'll notice this, maybe you can't see, but there's a beautiful cornucopia. I like to say that word, cornucopia. And there's all, all sorts of delicious-looking plastic fruit and vegetables. And a couple of pine cones, I think, and some pheasant feathers and things. But it's, 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 it's to symbolize the, the, uh, the parable of the, of the great banquet. Now, the situation is, is this. Uh, Jesus is at the house of this prominent Pharisee. He's having a meal there. And the Scripture says that he's being watched intently. By by these Pharisees who are gathered there, they we're not sure what that means. Um, perhaps they just who is this guy? I'm curious about him. He he does certain things. We've heard he heals, he teaches. People are giving their lives to him. Uh, maybe they're curious. Maybe they were looking for a way to trip him up to make him look bad. Maybe they saw him as a threat. We're not sure. But um, but what happens right before he tells this parable of the of the great banquet? There's a man. It's on the Sabbath for you know which for the Jewish people would would be Saturday. Jesus is at this man's house on the Sabbath, and there's a man there who has dropsy, some sort of some sort of disease, maybe some sort of paralysis or something. But he's there, and and Jesus heals him on the Sabbath. Now you're not supposed to do that according to the the Pharisees of the day, and and, and but he does it anyway. And and um, and there's some tension in the room, and um, and then a man says this in verse 15. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Now, what's this guy trying to do? It sounds nice. Blessed is the one who will sit at the table and eat at the feast uh, in the kingdom of God. But why is he saying at this point? Well, it's because Jesus has done something the Pharisees are uncomfortable with. He healed somebody on the Sabbath, breaking their laws. And, and this guy kind of says something, probably trying to, to bring some sort of uh, kind of peace to the room, to the situation. Let's kind of divert things. Let's say something we can all agree upon. And then we'll move on and have a nice dinner together. He's kind of trying to, to do uh, something like that. But he's probably also uh, doing something else. Right before this, after Jesus heals uh, this man on the Sabbath, there's another awkward moment in verse 7. Well, I'll read that for you. When he, Jesus, noticed how the guests picked out the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. And Jesus launches into this parable about how we are to not seek places of honor, but rather we are to serve people, put their needs before our own. 
And Jesus says, in this way, you will be honored. Now, anybody who, um, you know, sometimes people think of Jesus, they kind of portray him as this kind of milk-toasty, meek and mild kind of guy uh, that everybody loved to be around. Um, but, but it's not always that way in the scripture. I mean, Jesus has been invited to a party, the house of a prominent Pharisee, a mover and shaker in the community. He's got some of his friends there, and he's invited all the other important people in town. And, and Jesus, he's a guest, but he notices something going on at this party. People are maneuvering to try to get the best seats at the table. They want to be close to Jesus. They want to be close to the other important people. And Jesus sees this, and he calls them on it. He, he points it out to them. And then he tightens the screws a little bit tighter. Verse 12. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. So in effect, Jesus is saying, you know, Mr. Prominent Pharisee, don't think of yourself as some great host or hostess. Anybody can do what you're doing, inviting friends and important people, hobnobbing with the movers and shakers in town. He says anybody can do that. The purest hospitality, he says, is when you serve someone from whom you will never, ever get anything back. What you're doing isn't graciousness, isn't really hospitality. You're greasing the skids so that you get something in return. Now, how do you think the host felt when Jesus said that? I mean, he's been invited over to dinner, and, and instead of playing nice, he reveals their ulterior motives. And then he tells a story that is pointed toward them. And so this guy who says, hey, we can all agree on this, right? Blessed is the one who sits at the feast in the kingdom of God. This guy is probably also trying to, let's direct the topic to something else, something safe that we can all agree upon. Think about if you're in Kansas City, okay? You're at a party, there's lots of people there, and it's the middle of a football or basketball season, and it's filled with... K-State, KU, and Missouri fans. And, and the topic of sports comes up, and it gets a little testy, you know, a little tense. Like, whoa, okay, what do we do here? Hey, how about those Royals? You're trying to, you're trying to change the topic a little bit, okay? And, and the guy was probably doing a little bit of that as well. But Jesus doesn't take the bait. He doesn't follow the guy's lead. He's like, no, 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 we're not going to change topics. We're not going to change subjects. And then Jesus says something that must have been very convicting, but always remember that when, when we squirm under the conviction of God's word, there is always an invitation attached to it. When God convicts us of our sin, he also invites us to his grace. So this guy says, blessed is the man who will eat of the feast in the kingdom of God. And he, he's hoping, expecting that Jesus will say, how right you are, my dear man. But Jesus doesn't. And so he launches into the parable of the great banquet. And it's about a man, obviously of some considerable means. He throws this lavish party and he sends out an invitation. There's a, quite a buzz. It's an honor to be asked. I mean, not everybody gets invited to this guy's house. And when everything is ready and prepared, he sends out his servant to kind of remind people, say, hey, it's time to come. The party's ready. Please come. But then excuses begin to come in. You know, all sorts of excuses begin to come in. Uh, I've got business 
commitments. Uh, I've got some things with my family I need to do. Uh, there's some things personally I'm dealing with. I, I can't make it. Maybe, maybe another time. And the host, his response is he's not real happy about this. So he sends out a servant again. But this time, he tells them, bring in people with less on their minds, with less in their bank accounts, and those who are aware of their own inadequacies and their own needs. And it says they'll take the place of these others until the party is full. And then he says those who turn down the opportunity, they'll find it's, it's lost, gone forever. Now this is kind of a hard-hitting, serious story to tell at a dinner party. But I think we're, we're meant to, to pull out and to note five things in the story. First, Jesus offers an amazing invitation. We can't miss that. He says, come, for everything is now ready. You know, if you think about it, I think a word that could sum up pretty, pretty accurately God's attitude towards humanity is, is the word come. 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 You see, the God we disobey, the God we neglect, the God we snub, the God we ignore, issues an invitation to all people saying, Come. And as we do come, as we do respond, we, we see deeply into God's nature. You see, a lot of people kind of walk around with this misconception of, of God as a judge, and he is a judge. But as God is a judge whose primary and first instinct is to say, go, go away from me, leave my presence. But in fact, the place to begin with God is a God who says, come, come to me. And if you look through the whole of Scripture, that's the message you see from Genesis, the first book, to Revelation, the last book. Come into the ark, God says to Noah, and you'll be saved. Come to the waters, says the prophet Isaiah. Come to me, says Jesus, all who are weary and and heavy laden, and I will give you rest in Matthew 11. And the Holy Spirit in the last chapter of Revelation, the last book, says, Come, let him who is thirsty Come, let him who desires take the water of life without price. And so we see from this at the heart of the Christian gospel, the good news is that we have a God who reveals himself in his son, Jesus Christ, and he issues an invitation through Jesus. And that invitation is come. So we have an amazing invitation in this story. But secondly, we find that Jesus gives us a remarkable description, a remarkable description of life in the kingdom of God, of life with Jesus Christ. Verse 14 or 16. A certain man was preparing a a great banquet and invited many guests. So Jesus here is, is going to communicate to us something very important about the essential nature of what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. You know, people will ask, what's Christianity really all about? Is it about a belief? Is it about faith? Is it about behavior? Is it about serving, doing? Is it about being? Well, it's all those things. Certainly they're all involved. But Jesus says that the picture and the portrait of the Christian life, of life with God, of the kingdom of God, is that of a party, a celebration. Now, I guarantee if you go into a local bar or you ask somebody on the street what the Christian life is all about, see how long it's going to take before they say, oh, it's, it's like a party. You know, it's like it's like a celebration, probably going to take a long time because, you know, one of the greatest, greatest myths that's propagated by Satan 
is that following Jesus Christ is not like a party. It's the reverse. It's dull. It's a burden. It's more like a funeral than a party. And nothing is further from the truth. I mean, do you think the people who walked with Jesus, who talked with Jesus, who saw him, thought of him as dull? They're, they're captivated by him. Whether they like him or not, they're captivated by him. They would not describe him as dull. You think it would be dull to see somebody heal or to preach and claim forgiveness of sins or to, to, to meet someone who had risen from the dead? You think it was dull when Jesus said, give up everything you have and follow me? Do you thought they found it dull to claim him in the per- face of persecution? Dull to share belongings and material possessions to help others? Of course not. You know, to this day, people who have come to Christ have compared it to wonderful things, like finding a treasure or discovering a pearl of, of great price. C.S. Lewis, when he became a believer, spoke of being surprised by joy. And that's a testimony of millions of people over the centuries who have found deep satisfaction, peace and fulfillment and joy and grace when they respond to Jesus' invitation to come. So we have an amazing invitation. We have a remarkable description of life in the kingdom. And third, Jesus makes a surprising statement. And it's kind of it's a repeat of the first one. Come for everything is now ready. Everything is ready. You don't have to do anything. You don't have to bring anything. Just show up. Just respond to the invitation. Now imagine the impact that this statement might have had upon these, these, these Jewish Pharisee listeners, because in their world, their theology, it was about law keeping, following the rules, following the laws, doing good, being a decent person, going to church regularly and hoping at the end somehow their good deeds would outweigh the bad and they would scrape into heaven. It's not just first century Jewish Pharisees who sometimes think that way, right? Lots of people can think like that, and yet Jesus is saying, everything is done, everything is ready. Just show up, just respond. You see, the message of the gospel is that through Christ, God has done everything necessary for us to be restored in relationship with him. Nothing more to do. This enormous gap between a holy and perfect God and us as sinful people has been bridged through Christ on the cross. Remember what Jesus said before he died? It is finished. It's completed. It's done. Nothing more that you should do, nothing more that you can do except respond, come, and accept. So, now we come to the part where it's a little bit surprising in the story. We have this wonderful invitation and, and it, everything is done and ready. And you think, boy, anybody is going to respond to that, right? Who wouldn't want to come? But we find Jesus reveals to us a staggering response. Verse 18. They all alike began to make excuses. A man has bought a field and needs to see to it. A man has bought five oxen or cattle and he needs to check them out to make sure it's a good purchase. A man just got married. But when you look at the excuses, they really don't hold water. I mean, nobody sensible would go to see a field 
in the evening darkness when the party was happening. It was a dinner party. And who in their right mind would buy cattle without even seeing them ahead of time? And why couldn't the married man have brought his wife to the party? She'd enjoy it. See, the real problem is that they don't want to come. It's inconvenient. Not now. Maybe later. The old guy probably won't mind. We're not going to be missed. But their one disqualifying sin was that they found all these other things more appealing and more attractive, more important than their friendship of God. As David Goodwin says, they enjoyed the Creator's gifts, but the Creator Himself they regard as a bit of a bore. You know, there might be somebody here today, this very moment who's saying, sounds good, but no thank you, maybe later, not now. If that's the case, I'd ask you, what's, what is it that's so important, that preoccupies you, that's more precious than the friendship of God? Work, relationships, things, pride, hobbies. And are these things, do these things bring you deep satisfaction, fulfillment? Do they meet your deepest longings and fears? Do they provide you with peace and joy? So we've got an amazing invitation from God come. We've got a remarkable description of life with, the, with Jesus. It's a party, it's a celebration. We've got a surprising statement. It's all done, it's ready. All you have to do is show up, respond, accept the invitation. We see this staggering response to this amazing offer. No, thank you. Can't do it now. More important things to do. And then finally, Jesus gives us a solemn warning. I tell you, verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. There's the answer to the spiritual procrastinator. Another chance may not always be there. Jesus says, none of those who are invited and refused will be allowed to have even a taste of my banquet, a solemn warning. I'm guessing after Jesus said that, it was pretty quiet in the room. But we have to understand, we see these interactions between Jesus and the Pharisees, and we think, boy, there was Jesus loved those Pharisees just as much as he loved the tax collectors and the 5,000, and the poor, and the sick, and the lame. You can hear the urgency in his voice. Go out quickly. Compel them to come. It's all ready. Do not delay. Please, come. My high school graduating class was small, uh, 39 people. Before my five-year class reunion, three were gone. We, we never know, do we? That's why we must take every spiritual opportunity we have, every invitation from God, without delay, to respond and to come. See, the bottom line is that if Christianity is not true, it's no big deal, right? We, we are born, we, we live, we work, we eat, we drink, we exercise, eventually we die. And that's it. But if Christianity is true, if it is real... If what Jesus taught is true, then we're made for a relationship with God. And the most important decision that we can make is to accept his invitation to come to the party. It's clear, it's simple, but it's not easy. People might feel like, should I, should I not? What will happen to me? How will my life change? Do I want that? 
in Jesus' parable, nobody is forced or coerced. Everybody has a freedom to respond how they choose. But it's clear that that God longs for our friendship. And so Jesus leaves the ball in our court. How will we respond? Excuses? Or will we come with gratitude and humility and find joy and peace and satisfaction and relationship with the one who created us? There's one thing that's crystal clear with Jesus. You can't be neutral with Jesus Christ. There's no in-between. You can't sit on the fence. That's a dangerous place to be. And so in conclusion, the point of this parable is this. God has invited you to a party, and he's the host. You can choose to come. If you do, you're an honored guest, just along with everybody else. All is ready. You can bring nothing to the table. It's finished. Jesus says, it's all done, but time is of the essence. He says, what will be your response? I'm going to offer up a prayer. And if, if you're sitting here this morning and you feel the Holy Spirit tugging on your heart, if you've never truly responded and accepted God's invitation, I encourage you to do so now. And so I'm going to pray this prayer and I encourage you just to repeat it after me in your heart and God will hear it. He will answer. He will receive you with great joy. And if you do, please approach one of us as a staff. Let us know so we can encourage you and pray for you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you for the invitation to the great banquet. Lord, I've done nothing whatsoever to deserve your invitation of grace and mercy. And I have until now largely ignored you and excluded you from my life and thinking. I'm ashamed of my personal failures and sin and amazed at your generous offer of forgiveness and grace. Thank you for dying for me. Thank you for rising from the dead. Thank you that you're alive and want a friendship with me. I say yes. I say yes, Lord. I put my life in your hands. Set me free to be a person that you've called me to be. And give me peace that I may know that the step I've taken is real and forever. We ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen. Would you stand?